This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Ian Peacock, CFO of Cluster 7, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 391. into an office and we look at everyone for six months, everything they're doing from their laptops, desktops, cell phones and stuff, and we call that the baseline. Six months from now, I'll say, hey, Jack, uh, you know, this is your, your current productivity number, and they'll say it's 3%. I've got an idea. Why don't we strike a deal that um, your new target is 10%. I'd like you to be 10% value-added, and I can give you all this data from cell phones and laptops and all the rest of it so you can track it literally moment to moment. And if you hit 10%, you can go home. So if you hit 10% productivity at 9 o'clock in the morning, go home. The net is we both win. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, the topic is AI and compensation. Now, this discussion was originally hosted by Workplace Champions, a sister podcast, where Brett Knowles and I, each episode, explore human capital strategies and innovation. However, there was little question, this discussion has plenty of takeaways for finance leaders. And so, what you're about to hear involves a CEO, Chris Cabrera of Exactly. Now, Exactly is a developer of sales compensation software. So, my intent was to use my conversation with Chris as a springboard for a broader discussion around AI and compensation As usual, Brett Knowles does not disappoint. We begin after these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are... A majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Link data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO. So the uh, CEO interview I want to share with you is of uh, my interview with Chris Cabrera, who is CEO of Exactly, and I believe Exactly has a very strong hand to play uh, in the area of AI going forward, and uh, has everything to do uh, with sort of the uh, 
lines of sight that this company enjoys in terms of the data it's collecting uh, as it engages with its customers. So uh, I hope you'll agree. You'll have to wait till the interview goes on to find that out, won't you? Okay, in that case, we'll begin. This is Chris Cabrera, CEO of Exactly Corporation. What we do at the core is we help companies manage their compensation. And if you think about it, uh, compensation is usually the second or first largest expense item that companies have. So they're spending, and even even mid-market, smaller-sized companies are spending millions of dollars to motivate the, these employees, and they really have very little data available to them or benchmarks available to them to understand how they should pay pay folks and what the impacts of those that might be. And when I say little data, I mean the only data that's available if they can afford to you know pay for it are survey is survey data, and we think survey data is great. Uh, but, you know, it's only as good as the people surveyed, and, you know, you're basically asking how things are done. Our data is empirical, so it's based on 13 years of actual payments uh, and performance across 1,400 companies across all these different industries. And so that's what makes what we have at the core just more valuable. I think anybody who's paying attention to the software world, uh, you know, you can't avoid hearing every single major vendor is trying to figure out this data play. You know, they're all talking about AI and ML, and you know, to the layperson, that you know, it, it might all sound you know like a different language, but it's not. I mean, everybody is trying to figure out how to use data in different ways. We were lucky enough, as you said, to, you know, get, to get on this train early, and because we're a very data-dependent app, and we need, and by our, by our very nature our app collects information that allows us to understand performance metrics and you know discounting practices and hiring metrics and you know ramp up times and productivity times i mean there's an incredible amount of rich data there but as you to the point of your question like where does it go from here i'll give you a quick example so one of the companies we recently acquired was a company called the line star which is in the territory management space a space we previously were not in at all so this is where you know imagine you have 30 reps and you're trying to uh, and let's just use the U.S. as a quick example. Let's say you're trying to create 30 territories in the U.S. Well, the way I've always done it in my career is the old-fashioned way, and you have this state or you have this, and we kind of draw lines and we do the best we can to, to, to create 30 territories. Well, now we have a tool that does that all automatically, and it creates 30 equal territories looking at what the TAM is for those territories based on what you sell and who you sell to. Well, from a data standpoint, think about what it, what it also means. Now we're just adding into our existing data set this other whole uh, area around size of territory, how many of your customers are per 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 territory exist, and as the perform as we start to add that and correlate that with performance data, think of what we'll be able to show you downstream as far as uh, intelligence on what what the what the optimal territory size might be or the optimal number of accounts in a territory might be. I mean, it's, you can kind of let your mind go. When You know, when you start thinking about this, not on a single company or five companies, but on thousands of companies, uh, the data becomes extremely uh, predictive and prescriptive. It literally, if you listen to the data, it will literally tell you how to be best in class. And that's 
exactly what people are talking about when they're talking about AI and ML is using data to tell you and guide you on what to change or do differently uh, and what the outcomes are going to be. Once the light bulb goes on as to what this data really can mean for people and how predictive and prescriptive it can be, um, then it, it becomes attractive to every size company. The reality is mid-market companies, by their very nature, um, are you, oftentimes not the companies that are able to go out and spend tens of thousands of dollars on uh, the comp experts that are out there. And whereas the big companies don't have a problem doing that. And so even though the information that the comp experts are providing is not based on empirical data, it's based on survey data and their experiential data, it's still better, you know, miles better than what the mid-market or smaller companies uh, can deal with because they just can't afford or they're not willing to put the money and spend for all those, uh, those consultants that are $500 an hour and whatnot. And so what we find is our message in this product really resonates to the mid-market size companies because, you know, frankly, the people who are designing their comp plans often are the CEO, him or herself, or the VP of sales, or, you know, and they're being managed by the admin of those people. I mean, that's what's happening when you have a sales force of 10 or 15 or 20 people. Um, very different, of course, when you have a sales force of 9,000. We cover it all, and we find that they all um, – uh, find value in the system, but but certainly the the, the uh, mid market size it resonates really really strongly. I, I guess my question is: Is compensation becoming much more dynamic? Are companies able to tweak things along the way more easily? And are these data insights allowing them, helping them to do that? Absolutely. I mean, the you know when I was coming up the ranks as a young salesperson, the, the notion of changing a comp plan within the year was. You know, heresy. Um, those days are over. Um, you know, I think things are changing in the marketplaces so dynamically. Things are changing with products. Things are changing with your competitors. That companies need to be able to adapt. I'm not saying wholesale changes. You don't want to be moving the goalposts. You know, on these salespeople, but you do want the ability to create uh, a time-based spiff to either get rid of obsolete products or get people up to speed on new products to deal with a competitive uh, dynamic or threat that's happening. And comp can be the, the mechanism to quickly do that. By the way, the reason that people, uh, especially in the mid-market, are kind of on this once-a-year cadence, generally, if you talk to the executives, it's not because it's the right thing to do. It's because the, man, it, the they're managing these plans in a manual kind of par spreadsheet-based paradigm, and, and it's so difficult to even do that the idea of trying to change it throughout the year or a couple times a year is untenable. And so that's where systems like ours, you know, get rid of that. I mean, you can create a spiff in, you know, a few minutes and have it be, you know, rolled out to the field in, in a matter of, uh, you know, seconds. So the world has definitely changed. Comp plans are becoming much more dynamic. And so when you think about that and you think about the idea of this huge amount of money being spent in comp and the idea of making changes, you know, it's sort of hard to believe that people would do that absent of looking at empirical benchmarking data as to what works best and what's the, what are other companies like them doing and what are other companies in their vertical doing. That's where the data comes in for these companies to make those changes.
It's all about the data. No question about it. So, Brett, what do you make of what uh, Chris has just shared with us? You know, back uh, in the late 90s, I got involved with a startup out in San Francisco, a dot-com. Uh, and the whole thing of these dot-coms were to find what is that unique asset that you and only you own. And what's interesting is he's discovered that. He's discovered what is that one asset that, that he has you know, unique access to that gives them a competitive advantage. Now, that's interesting, but how he extends the story of what do I do with that? How do I use that for you know, artificial intelligence or machine learning uh, is incredibly interesting. I was listening to a, another podcast the other day, and it was talking about self-driving cars, and it made this incredibly interesting point, and that was that self-driving cars don't have to be perfect. They just have to be better than we are. And that's almost his story about getting those sales territories. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be better than what we currently do, which is, you know, get out a map and, you know, say, hey, you know, Todd is in Denver, so he'll have the three states around Denver and add a little bit more science to it. So when you begin looking at it that way, you go, wow, that's uh, an intriguing uh, step forward in how we think about uh, compensation. When you think about uh, the workforce and the uh, human capital within companies today, where should we expect uh, AI to begin changing the game first? You know, that that same thought came to me as I was listening to him. And I, you know, I was struggling to try to think of where I'd felt that feeling before. And then I remembered about, about 10 years ago, I was going to a conference and I was uh, I you know, had my, ro- uh, my map out in the rental car next to me driving along, uh, and I swear to God I made uh, you know, a couple of mistakes that took me about 10 miles off course. And I didn't know I was 10 miles off course until I finally recognized I was hopelessly lost, pulled to the side of the road, and took a look at the map. Well, that would never happen now. You know, now we expect to have a GPS or even, for God's sake, our, our phone right next to us that is going to begin warning us when we are you know, one, one yard off track. And not only does it warn us, it is going to give us alternative routes. Not only does it give us alternative routes, but it's being mindful of things that we don't even think to look for. Traffic accidents, road closures up ahead. Um, Things about how long you've been driving and should you be taking a break. There's all this extra data that uh, is sitting there in your pocket, in your phone, and we take it for granted. Ten years ago, that stuff didn't exist. Now it's just day-to-day activities. As we listen to him talk, it makes sense that he's, you know, bringing that, you know, GPS level of wisdom to how we incent and compensate people. And once you hear him, you go, gosh, why would we not have that already? Like, it's so intuitively obvious once you hear the story, just like my story about the GPS on your phone. So I think the story he told us is a sneak preview to what's going to happen in the future. Or, as we now know, not the future, but next now, month. I said earlier I wanted you to... Uh, provide a reality check uh, for us because, well, to be honest, there's nothing new here. This is benchmarking, really. Am I am I right? This is there's nothing new. Well, the um, the there's a, a quote from Edward de Bono that he says, "True creativity is logical in hindsight, but you can't get there through logic." I remember back when I was a kid, someone came up with this idea of a pet rock. Pet rock, you know, they get a, a pebble, put some slack on it, glue some googly eyes and some fuzzy hair, 
And the guy made a million, million bucks from it. Now, in hindsight, you or I could have done that. But we didn't have the creativity to do it. But once you see it, you go, man, that is so obvious. Why didn't I? And, and what he's described to us fits in that category. Once you hear a story, you go, well, it all fits in place. It all makes sense. But if I interviewed you before this interview about that, it would never have shown up in your horizon. So, no, there's nothing that is brand spanking new, but it is repurposing stuff that already exists in a new and creative way that adds huge value. So, no, nothing that was new, but everything was new. And the opportunities that it opens up. So he's got a, a bias towards technology companies and Salesforce because that's his background. But you could begin to think of this in terms of uh, any employee, whether I'm doing payroll or invoicing or back office. But if you, if you stop for a second and you extend it a little bit more, he's just talking about compensation. But imagine this. We should be able to today take a look at any employee and know exactly what they've done for the entire day without them filling in a single timesheet or anything. Why is that? Because I know from their computer every single thing they've done. And with Microsoft Office, with these automatic updates, I can tell you minute to minute how many new bits of information have been added to that document. And with their cell phone, I can tell you exactly where they were moment to moment in the office. And I can tell you what they're doing, whether on the phone, working uh, on a system, uh, looking at Facebook. All that stuff is available to us today. Now, immediately we begin fearing, you know, draconian management. We're going to be watching people and, and, and uh, offering uh, tyranny. If you think of Michael Hammer and re-engineering the organization, he describes that the average productivity for a person, the value added, is less than 3%. In other words, less than 3% of your time are you actually doing things that add value to your customer. So what if I combine those two thoughts? What if we go into an office and we look at everyone for six months, everything they're doing from their laptops, desktops, cell phones and stuff, and we call that the baseline. Six months from now, I'll say, hey, Jack, uh, you know, this is your, your current productivity number, and we'll say it's 3%. I've got an idea. Why don't we strike a deal that... Um, your new target is 10%. I'd like you to be 10% value added. And I can give you all this data from cell phones and laptops and all the rest of it so you can track it literally moment to moment. And if you hit 10%, you can go home. So if you hit 10% productivity at 9 o'clock in the morning, go home. If it takes you 10 o'clock, go home. But the net is we both win. The individual doesn't have to waste time in meetings and non-value added activities. They can focus themselves on that value added. Now, granted, the commitment is to go from 3% up to 10%, but if you think of the organization's perspective, they have tripled the productivity of that business. They've tripled it. And the person's still going to go home, what, at 10 o'clock in the morning. That's an interesting deal. So as we begin going beyond this idea of merely tracking compensation to tracking how to help people become more productive, for God's sake, when you look at athletes, they have videos that are tracking how they perform and they talk to their coach and they're constantly getting this feedback and they you know, carry all this biomechanical devices with them and they worry about heart rates and all this kind of great stuff. That's just applying that same stuff to work. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. I'm about to ask Brett to supply us with a time frame. When are these technologies 
going to be adopted after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. To get a better uh, fix on how quickly industry and business is likely to adopt these types of technologies going forward, um, I would imagine we can look at past technologies and how they were adopted, and will they take a similar path? Do you have a, a sense of how you think these types of technologies will be adopted? Certainly as new business ideas emerge, they move through the, the business ecology at a different pace depending what they are. A simple example is way back when we came out with what we now know as ERP, you know, Enterprise uh, Resource Planning or Requirements Planning, the, the sort of work that SAP does. But that started off back in 1960s with Ollie White and MRP, Manufacturing Resource Planning. They were just helping you cut a better purchase order. And over time, it expanded from manufacturing resource to, uh, or manufacturer requirements to manufacturing resources, and then from manufacturing to enterprise. And so now we've got enterprise resource planning. But it's been an evolution. But it started in the manufacturing sector and then gradually moved over to service. And that's no different than Phil Crosby's work on quality, uh, you know, lean principles and so on. They've gradually migrated to service industries and then are migrating from service industries into the public sector. So there's this path at which they evolve and move through. Some of them move through functional areas faster. So as we talked about earlier on today, the sales force allows us, because it's highly numbers-driven, uh, fast response time between activities and results, uh, to numbers-driven uh, initiatives. And so many of the more innovative compensation models started off in the sales area. Much of the gamification started off in the sales area. And even uh, more modern planning tools like Anaplan have focused on the sales areas to begin with because that gives us better leverage. There are others that are strongly cultural-based. And so uh, when we think of some of the, the creativity and marketing tools, obviously they're not coming through the engineering departments or the finance departments or the IT departments. They're coming through uh, the graphics departments, the communications departments, and so forth. So as these new ideas evolve, they gradually radiate. and so the trick is to begin grabbing ideas from other businesses or departments uh, and bringing them to your area. So some of what we've heard uh, from uh, exactly is that whole principle of these are ideas that we've been using in uh, materials requirements planning, you know, the optimization of resources based on historic performance forever. And, and IBM is focusing on that with their application of Watson artificial intelligence application where to all of their functional software. So 
that stuff is happening all over the place. I think what's interesting here is he's bringing it into the compensation model, but more importantly, he's making it available to the mid-sized businesses. So he points out that this kind of thinking has been available for large businesses for some time, but he's now commoditizing that space. So this um, part of the trick here, if you want to be on the, on the technology evolution curve, is to find ideas that you can port into your space. And if we're in the business area, is to find these emerging ideas that you can lead your competitors in the space. Someone's going to use his tools to better optimize their sales regions and grab market share from other people that are laggards in picking up this technology. So we almost all have to be fans of this new emerging technology and experiment as being early adopters to give the competitive advantage uh, in today's marketplace. Okay. Well, I'm afraid, Brett, we're going to have to leave it there. I hate to leave it there, but we're going to have to leave it there. And uh, by the way, I, I never did ask you, uh, where are you uh, this week? Yep, uh, this week I find myself in the largest French-speaking city outside of France. Uh, and it's, it's intriguing as you go into even places here in North America, it happens to be Montreal, that um, even though they're part of what we think of being North America, there are these you know, cultural microcosms where uh, some things are happening much faster and some things are happening much slower. And I'm sure that's the same with any American city. That there, I can remember, again, 20 years ago in, in San Francisco, there's a coffee shop at every single corner and sometimes four of them. And I couldn't believe that those coffee shops could survive. Yet now it's radiated across North America and that's, that's the norm. So it's fun as you go in these small cities and see these emerging ideas that you know, we know are going to radiate uh, broader soon. Wow, that's a perfect place to end. Uh, Brett, I'll, I'm, I'll make certain to ask you up front next time uh, about your travels. I always enjoy hearing, I think our listeners do too. For Workplace Champions, this is Jack Sweeney and Brett Knowles. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.